Uh, good morning. I am Scott, for those of you that don't know who I am, and I am so grateful to be here this morning. Um, five weeks ago or so, I found out I was going to be teaching in the main service, and uh, um, they asked me, and I'm like, no, I don't want to. Um, but they, uh, they, I'm here, so that means something happened, and that was really, really cool. Um, it was a good day. Woo! So um, it was just really good, but... Uh, one of the things I know is, man, God is good on, all the time, and all the time God is good, and that's just super, super awesome. Um, I was trying to figure out what I was going to talk on, because we're in the Matthew series. Last week, we went through Matthew 1 through 3. If you've been following in your uh, reading the, the Bible plan, uh, then you know this week it's Matthew 4 through 6, and that's a lot of scripture to cover, so let's buckle up and get ready to it. I'm just kidding, we're not going to cover all uh, of it, but here's the deal is I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, and uh, do you go on Matthew chapter 4 and you start talking about the temptation and how we get tempted, how Jesus dealt with temptation and all that kind of stuff, and I thought about that, wanted to do that, and the Lord was like, no. I was like, Awesome. Matthew chapter 5, where it talks about the Beatitudes, which I'm the recovery pastor here, and so uh, that goes right inside, in line with uh, the recovery stuff. Could I do that? No. God's like, no. And I landed on the thing I was most anxious about, and that's Matthew chapter 6, where we talk about anxiety. Yes! So I was a little anxious. I've been anxious. My wife was like, what is wrong with you? I'm I'm anxious. And she's like, well, do what you told yourself, the people on Sunday. I'm like, I, I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with that. I don't know what I'm going to do. But here's the deal is, um, man, things are super, super crazy. And uh, I've been in a whirlwind the last four weeks. Uh, I went to Oklahoma University, picked up my son from college and brought him back and dropped him off at the airport the next day. And he went down to Camp Pendleton and uh, for the ROTC program. And I got home And I had a fever. I was shaking. I had the vid. I had the vid. I had COVID. And that was crazy for me because I didn't think I was ever going to catch it. I mean, I licked door handles. I was around people. I could not get the thing. And I gave my daughter one hug when I was leaving, and I got the vid. I was like that super spreader in Oklahoma that was walking around. I had no clue. Um, Don't worry. I don't think I did spread it. But um, I was totally isolated most of the time. But then I, when I got healed, when I, when I was done with the COVID, um, I hopped on a plane like the next day. <laughs> I know, right? All the doctors and nurses in here are going, what is he saying? I know, freaking them out, freaking them out. I hopped on a plane and I went to Washington, D.C. with my middle son, Nehemiah. And it was an amazing, amazing trip. Um, got my taste buds back, which was awesome, so I could taste the Philly cheesesteak sandwich in Philadelphia. Need to get one of those. But um, we went to all these memorials in D.C. We went to tons of museums, the Spy Museum, um, the Holocaust Museum. But my favorite place that we went was the Bible Museum. Man, that was awesome to uh, put some biblical perspective into things. And that's my son and I. I don't know why he's wearing a mask, but he's wearing a mask because he's a good rule follower. And uh, uh, so he's there. And we had a great time walking in. And it's this huge building, and you go in, and they send you to the third floor to start off. They're like, you got to start off on floor three. I'm all... Why didn't you put it on the ground floor? But okay, so we get to the third floor and we go in the first room and in the first room, it's all about 
the Old Testament. It walks you through the Old Testament. It's kind of this experience type thing. You walk in, it shows a video, then you kind of walk through. I couldn't take pictures because it's all about lights and things like that. And they're like, don't take pictures. And at that, I did rule follow, so you're welcome. Um, and then I, you go into the second area where it lays out a village like it would be during Jesus' time. And it was really, really cool. And then the third room I go into and it lays out Jesus' story. And it just tells you his story, which is the gospel and the good news. And in D.C., it was there. The gospel is being shared, at least in that format, and it was super cool. So then we went up before after that, and we went into uh, all the Bible. I mean, it's all Bible. It's the Bible Museum, so... No wonder, right? And I walk in and I'm like, oh, this is really cool, man. This is awesome. This is a Dead Sea Scroll. And then I go to the next thing. I'm all, this is a Dead Sea Scroll. And so by the third time, I'm like, this is boring. Like, they all look the same. I don't read Hebrew. I don't read Greek. I don't read that stuff. But it was really awesome to see that. And here's the thing, though. As I went through there, you go through and there's different areas where it has these videos being played and people who have taken the word of God and have translated it into whatever language they needed to. So it has a guy who translated it from Hebrew and Aramaic into Greek, right? And then you go a little bit further and it's got Martin Luther in there who translates it into German, right? And you have other people, and I forgot the guy's name, who translates it into English. And it's just really cool to go through that and go, man, what do I believe? Like the Bible is there and it's live and it, it, do I really believe everything that's in this? It's been translated and touched by so many people and yet so many people half-heartedly believe the word of God is truly the word of God. And I was faced in those moments of going, do I believe what this really says? I mean, the word of God that we're gonna read today, do I truly believe it? Because if I do, I better act like it. If I don't, then why waste my time? And I was faced with that and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And then we walked into another room and in this room, it was really, really cool. It had this huge, I had three walls. One wall was all about the word of God that's been translated into all these dialects and it was a lot of dialects, a lot of languages that it's been uh, translated into. And then I went into, the, there's this other wall that has these books here. And I took that picture. And those are uh, translations that have been uh, made for that language but have not been able to reach that people group. The, the one there, Orma, right there, my buddy uh, Tony Ippolito, um, his friend worked on that and translated it and they tried to get it into Kenya and the, the leaders of, of Kenya would not allow that diet that it, to go into the, the, the land so that the people could read it. And then you go into a, uh, the third wall which has all the languages and all the um, dialects that it has not even been translated into. And I just stood in the middle of that room and I just saw what God has done, what he's wanting and willing to do but not on our time on his time and the people that were still called to go reach. And I, again, was faced with the Bible. What do I truly believe? Because I think sometimes in our life, 
Sometimes in your life, my life, my family's life, I let others, other people's disbelief affect and cause doubt in my own life. I don't know if that happens to you, but I know it happens to me. We need to stop living off of other people's faith and create a faith of our own. And how do we do that? By truly believing this and by getting in the word of God. That's how we get there. I don't know if you remember this, but I think it was March of last year. The vid hit. Everything shut down and COVID hit. The world stopped. All of a sudden, I had five kids in my house all trying to use Wi-Fi so they could zoom into their teachers. And I was like, I can't play my video games. What's up? One of you has to get off. Um, right? No, I didn't do that. But um, I, I was like, that's super, super weird. Like everything just shut down. Restaurants shut down, companies shut down, everybody started working from home, and the world panicked and scrambled. What are we going to do? Some of you may have gone to the grocery store and bought all my toilet paper. <laughs> you may have done that, but the toilet paper was flying off the shelves, water was flying off the shelves. I have a buddy who's a manager at O'Brien's, and he's like, Scott, it is crazy. It is absolutely crazy. COVID hit, we did not know what to do. Anxiety started to creep in. Maybe some of you dealt with anxiety. Maybe some of you lost a job. How am I gonna provide for my family? How am I gonna deal with this? I mean, you, you can still drive around town and see the restaurants that are still shut. Absolutely crazy how that happened. Not only that anxiety, but that anxiety kind of grew and festered. And there was many people that started to struggle with suicide, had suicidal ideation. They had thoughts about it. Some of them even did that because they could not handle the anxiety and stress of what's going on. The teenagers specifically, it started to mess them up. Everything they knew, their social life, their sports, their everything they had was gone and they didn't have tools to know how to deal with it. And so anxiety cre crept in. The only thing they had to socialize with other people is to get on Call of Duty and play with their friends and talk to the four people in their pod or three people in their pod. That's all they could do. Or play Fortnite. That's all they were doing. That's what my kids were doing. Fortnite. It was awesome. Saw a lot of Fortnite. Played a lot of Fortnite. I get on there and play with some of my students sometimes. It's awesome. Um, I'm not good at all, by the way. But um, anxiety creeps in. So what does the word of God say about that? Well, that's what we're gonna look at today. Matthew chapter six, uh, verses 25 through 34. I'm gonna read that um, here in a second. But um, that's where we start to hear from Jesus about anxiety. And do we truly believe what he's gonna tell us? Or do we just half-heartedly believe? Or do we not believe it at all? Well, Matthew chapter six says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow 
They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Or you, O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall I eat? Or what shall I drink? Or what shall I wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Whew. There's a lot there. There is a lot there. I mean, I was just thinking as I was reading that, man, do we not know better than any other state like one day the grass is green as we're going over the Altamont Pass and the next day it's totally brown? Like things die and yet God still clothes us. God still takes care of us and that's super, super cool. Well, my title of my message is this, Seeking God When Anxiety Seems Overwhelming. Seeking God when anxiety seems overwhelming. And anxiety is increased when our focus is wrong. What is your focus on? Do you focus on Christ and things of heaven or do you focus on things of the world? Well, there's a quote by Arthur Roach which says this. I found the, I, the other two services didn't get the author because I had no clue and somebody emailed me the author of it. But um, it says this, worry is a thin stream of fear that trickles through the mind which is, in, if encouraged, will cut a channel so wide that all thoughts will be drained out. Anxiety and stress is exactly like that. It is a small, little thing that pops in there. Oh, what about this? And if encouraged, if held onto, if we grab onto it and we let that fester, what happens? It grows and grows and grows until we can't even think straight. We can't even do things normal but that is the thing that dominates our life. We can't even think of Christ because we're so overwhelmed of the troubles of our world. We can't even take time out to pray. Well, if you go a few verses ahead of what uh, I read, there's a verse that says this in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The things that you're investing into, the things that you're putting your time, your energy, your money, that's where your heart's gonna be. And if you're taking your time and you're taking uh, your money and you're investing in the things of the world, that's not gonna sustain you. It's gonna wither away and die. But if you invest into the things of God, he will sustain you. He will be the one that helps you. The first things that, that we see, that we focus on, that, that may be wrong is this, things that we find comfort in that aren't God. What are the things you find comfort in that aren't about God? Matthew 6, 25 is the verse I'm referencing and says this, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Well, what do you eat and drink? What do you consume? What are the things that you're putting into your mind and into your body? I mean, if you're consuming things of the world and you're not consuming things of Christ, then what are those things? See, I have this thing the doctors call a little bit of a weight problem, and I used to grab maple bars two at a time and get them lodged right here. Um, 
Mr. T's donuts are amazing. Those are the things I would consume. Those are the things that I would hold on to, things of the world, because when I would get hungry, I did not like the discomfort and the feeling that I felt inside. I felt empty. I felt alone. I did not like that. And so what would I do? I would turn to food to help me through it, to comfort me. There's nothing more comforting than a a large pepperoni and artichoke pizza. That is comforting to me. And nobody else can have any, just letting you know, right? Because one piece is not enough. It's got to be more. It's got to be more. See, Job 38, verse 41 says this, who provides for the ravens its prey when its young ones cry out to God for help and wander about for lack of food? Well, God does. God's the one who provides. He's the one that cares for us. He's the one that gives us those things. I go to Celebrate Recovery. I'm the pastor of Celebrate Recovery, and there's a reason why I'm there, and that is one of the reasons that I'm a food addict. I am a compulsive overeater. I can't stop with one piece of pizza. I gotta eat the whole thing. I can't open a box of Cheez-Its and only have the recommended serving size, which I don't even know. It's gotta be the whole box. The most frustrating thing is when you get those uh, 100 calories snack bags. I want 12 of them, (laughs) not just one. Those are the things. I mean, they call comfort food comfort food for a reason, right? You go to the restaurant and you want the side and the side has to be mac and cheese because that is comforting. Cheese and noodles, come on. With little breadcrumbs on top. I mean, you're getting all hungry. I know, it's noon, man. I'm gonna make you guys hungry. But this world has gone crazy and we go the opposite side because we think we can solve our problems. And so since I seek comfort through food, maybe what I will do is I'll go on a diet. We all go on diets, right? We've had diets. I've been through many of them. There's some out there. There's the clean eating. I wash my food too. It's clean. <laughs> right? There's the, there's the Atkins diet, Right? My friend in college went on the Atkins diet and he was like three months in and he was digging on the food. He lost a little bit of weight. Next thing I know, he is laying prone on the couch and I'm like, what is up with you? He's like, I'm backed up. And I was like, you need some veggies in your life, bro. You need something to help you. And I did not know what was going on. There's other diets out there, the Jenny Craig diet, all that kind of stuff. Diets have proven to be creators of food addiction. We've done those things. Now I think we need to change from diets into a lifestyle change. I lost 15 pounds recently, and that's because of COVID, so thank you, COVID. Got the COVID diet, but um, not sure that's a lifestyle I wanna live on or live with, but uh, nonetheless, that's where it happened, and uh, I've been very grateful for that, but... um, And I'm not here to talk about diets. I am here to talk about what do we get comfort from. And here's the thing. In John, Jesus says a couple things. And he says one thing. He says, I am the bread of life. He also says, I am the living water. God is there saying, eat of me, take of me, drink of me. And when you do these things, I will sustain you. I will nourish you. And I will give you Living water so you will never thirst again. Do we get comfort from him 
Or do we go to those things that in 30 minutes, like Chinese food, we will be hungry again? Not only is it the things that we get comfort from, but finding things that bring security that aren't God. We want that security. We want to be safe. Matthew 6, 23 says, and why are you anxious about clothing? What are the things, the tangible things that we bring around us to bring us security? I've got a two-year-old that's rocking a killer mullet that runs around here, and he's got his little buffalo blanket that brings him security. He's got his pacifier at night that brings him security. What are the things that we do to bring us security? I mean, I am a patriot. I believe in the Second Amendment. And if I could only have that CCW so I can carry a gun, I will be safe. Don't worry. I don't have it. I don't have one. No one wants to put a gun in my hand. Um, but here's the thing. What are the things that we get security from physically? How do you feel physically safe? How do you protect yourself physically? Hmm. That aren't things of God. What about socially? See, I want everybody to like me. I want every single person I come in contact to like me, and that's one of the things I have to deal with. I realize not everybody's gonna like me. I realize when I walk out of here, some of you are gonna go, can't wait till Joel gets back. <laughs> and that's okay, I have to learn to live with that. But I do, I want, I want people to like me. I want my wife to like me. I want to be socially secure with my wife. I want her to help me. And if, if, if she's acting mad or she's whatever, I'm like, hey, are you okay, babe? What's going on? What's happening? What's going on? You slammed a door. What's happening? I get codependent to her. And I desire to have that social interaction with friends. I want to be those things. I said something at a party a while back, and I said, hey, I walk into a room and I expect everyone to want to talk to me. My wife walks into a room and she doesn't think anybody wants to talk to her and that's different. But socially, I just expect, hey, I need to be secure and have everybody like me, everyone talk to me. Everybody say hi to me. What about emotionally and spiritually? How are you finding security? Ephesians chapter one, verses 18 and 19 says this, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in, in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? What is that hope? Because it's God who gives you power. It's not those things of the world that gives you power. It's not the money. It's not the house. It's not the car. It's not the fact that you have ring and somebody just dropped something off at your house because you ordered from Amazon one more time. That's not how we find security. We find security and hope in the Lord and we get power to help us with those things. Not only is it about comfort and security, but it's also things that bring us a false sense of control that aren't God? What are the things in your life that give you a false sense of control over your life that aren't about God? See, Matthew 6, verse 27 is the verse I'm referencing, and which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Nobody. Nobody in here can add an hour. God knows the day, God knows the time, God knows how it's gonna happen, all that kind of stuff. We can't add anything to that. No matter how much we worry, no, how, no matter how much we prep, 
I've known people that are healthy, they're runners, they're dialed in, they have a heart attack and die. What? But they were healthy. We can't add an hour to our life. We try to control those things. Do you realize that in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, chapter 15 and 16, Abram did it? Abram tried to control things. Abram was promised that he was gonna be the father of nations. He wanted to have this child, but he was old and withered and had no clue how that was gonna happen. Did not know. So he came up with a great idea. God, I know how I'm gonna do this. What does he go do? He goes and gets his servant, Hagar, and he lays with her, and they have a son. See, God, you're right. We did it. And then his wife gets pregnant, and she has a son. Oh, what are we going to do? They fought. You guys may know the story. Read the book of Genesis 17, 18. Move on in there, and it'll tell you the story. But guess what? They're still fighting today. In Israel, they're still fighting today because Abram couldn't handle waiting on God's timing because he thought his timing was better. How many times in our life do we think we know better than God that we want it on our time, our terms, and not on God's? How many of us try to control our spouse? Oh. I deal in the addiction world and counseling, and so I got people that come to me and they're like, my husband's a drinker and I'm gonna control all his money because if he doesn't have money, he can't have beer, he can't do that, and all of a sudden then they track him. Why are you at the bar? I got Life 360, what's going on? Why are, why are you there? That stuff happens. Or the, the spouse that comes in and they're, they're, uh, their spouse has been uh, looking at things they shouldn't look. I'm gonna lock down the internet because if they can't get on the internet, then they're never gonna see this stuff again. Well, have you seen any commercials or TV shows? It's everywhere. And for an addict, they'll find a way. But how many times do we try to even control our children? What they think, what they eat, what they drink. And I know when you got a parent, we got to shepherd them and we got to teach them in the ways of the Lord so that they don't depart from it. But my mom only let me wear 501 blue jeans button up and I hated it. I still to this day will not wear 501 blue jeans. And the, today, this morning, I was getting ready to come and, and uh, come to church, and my wife and I were talking about church, and she's like, um, she's like, hey, you, you realize you're picky about your shirts? And I go, I know, I'm very picky. I know, I, I get it. There's some things I'm picky about. She goes, because I buy shirts for you, and you like never wear them. I go, I know, because they remind me of what my mom used to buy me, and I can't handle that. <laughs> because my mom said, this is what you can wear. This is it. And don't wear your hat backwards. If you wear your hat backwards, you're in a gang. I did not realize that's how you joined a gang. That seemed pretty easy, um, but I don't know. Uh, my son has a different theory. He says you can only wear your hat backwards if you're a catcher or a sniper, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who's more off the, 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 the radar, but um, it was awesome. Uh, Philippians chapter four, verses 11 through 13 says this. It says, uh, now that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. 
I know how to be brought low. I know how to be bound, or uh, I know how to abound um, in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul was writing this from prison, and he had a moment in time where he had to realize I have to be content in everything around me. I don't have to play God. I need to be content. And a lot of times my anxiety comes from the fact that I'm not content. It comes from the fact that I wanna control things and I'm not willing to let God work in my own life. And instead what happens is I take over and I mess things up. I got a thinking problem, and my problem means I need to rely on God. There's a saying that we use in recovery, and it's this, acceptance is the solution to our problems. If I can learn to accept things, if I can learn to accept people and situations and places, then guess what? That will be the solution to my problem, because if I can accept them, I don't have to control them. I don't have to manage them. I don't have to help them. I can deal with that. There's a a moment in time we have to realize that there's things out there that we can't do anything about. There's stuff out there we can't change. And there's a moment in time we realize that there's things out there that we can change. And the key is learning to know the difference between the two. The things you can change, the things you can't. The things that are God's issue and the things that are our issue. The things that are about him and his timing and the things that God is waiting for us to do something about. I work in that, the recovery department and it would be awesome if every addict came in and they prayed and immediately everything was healed. Boom, addiction gone. I'm not drinking anymore. I'm not doing drugs anymore. I'm not overeating anymore. I drive by McDonald's and I can keep going. I don't have to go through the drive-through anymore. Awesome, but it doesn't work like that. Not all the time. You, fear, you hear maybe one or two that, that that happens to. But a lot of times, God's waiting for us to do our work, to do the things which I'm gonna talk about in a little bit about uh, seeking after his righteousness. The things that about getting up and applying his word to our life. And when we do that, then things slowly get better and we get more and more sobriety. John chapter 14, verse six, he says this. I am the way I am the truth and I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He's the way. We're not the way. Even though sometimes we think we are, we're not the way. He is the truth. This is the truth. Not us. And he is the life. He's the one that provides life. He's the one that sustains us. He's the one that helps us, not us. There's nothing we can do to add an hour to our day. So what do we do? Well, we keep our eyes on God, who is the comforter. He's our security, and he's the life giver. That's what we do. We keep our eyes on him. Well, Scott, how do we do that? Well, first of all, we gotta look at the kingdom. He talks about his kingdom and, and uh, the question is, are you building your kingdom or are you building his kingdom? Is it about you, your things, your stuff, 
or is it about God? See, pastors fall into this temptation all the time and they start to build a church and at some point it goes off of being about God and being about them. And people become people followers instead of Jesus followers. It doesn't matter who our senior pastor is. If we're still following the Lord, we're still here worshiping God. That's the key thing, is making sure we're not worried about our kingdom, but we're worried about God's kingdom. Psalm 20, verse seven says this, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Are you trusting in chariots? Are you trusting in the fact that you got the new car? Are you trusting in the fact and in the name of the Lord? It was a humbling day when two of my cars at my house went kaput and I had nothing except a bicycle to ride to work. My wife had our minivan and I had a bike. That was awesome. And I remember riding six miles. It was great. Uh, then I'd have to find a shower around here, which there are none, by the way, to try and get clean, and, and it was rough. And I remember humbling myself when my sister-in-law goes, hey, you want to buy this car for a dollar? Oh. Was I trusting in the Lord, or was I trusting in myself and my own pride? And I had to humble myself, so I bought the car. It's a great car, by the way. <laughs> Still love it. Um, well, Peter... Peter's in a boat, sitting there. All of a sudden he sees a dude walking on the water. It's Jesus. Jesus calls him out and Peter jumps out of the boat and starts walking on water. And things are awesome. I don't know how he was walking. I don't know. I would have moonwalked probably. But he was walking out there and all of a sudden what did he do? What happened? Anxiety and waves and the things of the world started to crash in on him. And what did he do? He took his eyes off of Jesus and he looked down and he started to sink. Jesus reaches out his hand, grabs him, pulls him back up. See, that's what happens in our life. Things are going so great. And then all of a sudden we get distracted. Or maybe we say this, I got it, God. I'm so content, I'm so good, I'm, so, I'm financially set, everything's great, my kids are awesome, I got it. We don't read our Bible as much, we don't pray as much, we decide to do different things, and we start to sink. But God is there. We wanna put our eyes back on him. Luke 19, 11 says this, and Jesus is telling, uh, is with his uh, disciples, and, and as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. How many times the things we're praying about, we want now, right? We want it on our time. We want that healing now. My back went out a couple years ago, my low back. I remember I barely made it home. I went in the house. My wife was washing the sheets so I didn't have any sheets on the bed. I fell on the ground for two days. I was there. I was done. I was like, oh my goodness, what just happened? And I prayed and I prayed and I wanted to be able to get up and my back be healed. And I would, oh, and it was great. I wanted a pill. I wanted, give me something to help me with this pain. And instead, I got a Kaiser appointment where they told me to stretch. <laughs> stretch, really? And then guess what? I started to do it. Hey. That actually worked. But it took time. It wasn't immediate. And sometimes we want the kingdom of God to appear now. 
We want God to work now in our husbands' lives, in our wives' lives, in our children's lives, in our lives, and it's not about our timing, it's about God's timing. It's not about that. Super, super crazy. Matthew 6, 10 says this, and you may remember this from the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not our kingdom, it's his kingdom, and it's not um, our will, it's his will. So how we surrender that? But how do we get righteousness? How do we seek after righteousness? How do we not only seek the kingdom of God, but seek his righteousness? Well, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 40 says this, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend on all the law and the prophets. Since I was in high school here at Big Valley, I have heard Rick Countryman say, love God, love people. Love God, love people. That's what we're called to do. How do we seek after righteousness? Love God, love people. And guess what? All the Old Testament, because when it references law and prophet, that's what it's referencing is the Old Testament. All of that Old Testament These two things hang upon them. Love God, love people. You start to seek after righteousness when we do those things. Well, practically, how do we do it? Well, first of all, we gotta pick up our Bible and read it. A lot of pastors will say, I think it was, I'm gonna mess this up, but there was a guy that I know was famous. No, um, there's pastors that will be out there and will tell you, hey, read the Bible for an hour. Read the Bible for four hours. Well, how can you read the Bible for four hours? Well, how can I not read the Bible for four hours, right? Those types of things. That seems so overwhelming to me, and I get anxious just thinking about that. One, I have ADD. How do I even get past five minutes? How do I do a whole hour? Don't overwhelm yourself. Set a time, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Do a commercial break. I don't know. That's what we gotta do sometimes. I mean, I set aside a time a day, at least two times, to brush my teeth. I hope you do, and your neighbor hopes you do, right now, right? Now just try to cover it with gum and mints. But we gotta spend time reading his word if we truly believe that this is the word of God. Not only reading the Bible, but we take time to pray. Could you imagine being in a relationship with your spouse and you guys never talk? Some of you may be in those relationships. We do have a counseling ministry here at Big Valley and we'd love to help you out with that. But could you imagine that? Never talking? Your best friend, you guys never talk? In high school, I had a friend call me one time and he calls me and I go, hello? And he's like, hey, Hey, what's up, dude? And it was still silent. I'm like, dude, you called me. Like, I did not call you. You called me. What's happening? And it was super weird. Could you imagine a relationship with our Heavenly Father like that? And yet so many of us in here have that type of relationship. He's called us. He's waiting for us. He's sitting at the table waiting to dine with us. And we still don't go sit with him and eat with him and hang with him. We don't pray with him. We gotta get to know him, reading the Bible, prayer. And when anxiety overwhelms us, when that happens, we take a moment 
that, that is overwhelming our brain. Well, here's how you start to deal with that. You get a piece of paper and you get a pencil and, or a pen and you start to write it out. Here's what I'm anxious about. This is what I'm worried about. These are the things and you write it out. There's something therapeutic that starts to happen and helps us process through it when we write these things on a piece of paper. And then when we get done writing those down and we're still having trouble with those thoughts, that anxiety's still there, then we have confession that comes in. We gotta call it what it is. This is anxiety, this isn't good. I'm not trusting in the Lord and I need to be trusting in the Lord. So what do we do? We confess it. We confess it to God, to ourselves, and to someone we trust. Well, hopefully, you have someone you trust, and hopefully you have a mentor in your life, somebody that's walking down that road, whether through men's ministry, or through women's ministry, or through your small group, or whatever, that you have a mentor that you can talk to. Or at least some accountability partners that have, you've been able to pull around you that you can talk to when you gather. I got two accountability groups, and that's where I go when I'm struggling with stuff. I tell my guy on Monday morning, hey, this is what's happening. Or I tell my guys on Wednesdays at lunch, hey, this is what's going on. And not only that, but then we get outside of ourselves and we start to serve other people. We start to help others, care for them, take our mind off of ourselves and our problem. We focus it on somebody else. We serve doing ushering. We serve doing parking lot duty. We serve doing children's ministry. We serve helping out with the youth. We serve doing um, communion. We serve doing one of the cameras or the, the screens. We serve doing something. Maybe being a part of the worship team. Only if you can sing or play an instrument. Well, <laughs> Colossians chapter three, verse two and three say this. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Set our mind on things above. Set our mind on Christ. And if we do those things, if we're reading our Bible, if we're praying, if we're um, journaling and confessing, and serving others, guess what? That's setting our mind on things above. And that's how anxiety starts to go away. Isaiah chapter 23, verses three and four say this, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in, in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. So many times we want our spouse to be our rock. We want them to be the one that are stable and good. And yet, guess what? That's not right. God needs to be our rock. He is the everlasting rock. He is what the church is built upon. He is what our faith is built upon. He is what we should be building our life upon is him, the everlasting rock the one that will never run away, the one that will never let us down because I'm gonna guess the people in our lives have let us down before. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. That we would be able to abide forever with our heavenly Father by trusting him, by believing in him, 
by doing the things that he calls us to do. That is the desire. See, I struggle with anxiety myself. I remember buying that minivan I mentioned. I remember coming home from the dealership and we were having a uh, camp out in our living room and I remember laying there going, holy crud, what did I just do? (laughs) Why did I buy that? And just having a huge panic attack. I remember playing football in high school and going home at the end of the, the night and laying in my bed thinking through every single play what I did right and what I did wrong and being anxious about Monday when it was film time and I knew Coach Ramsey was gonna yell at me and he was gonna threaten, stubborn, I'm gonna kick you in the face and he could get his foot up there. <laughs> so I was scared. My son, Nehemiah, Eighth grader just graduated. He's a freshman now. And I went on the DC trip with him. And that dude is quiet and he is a thinker and he gets anxious about things. And I remember on our DC trip one time he said, Dude, Dad, I'm really anxious about what am I going to do after high school? I'm like, You just graduated eighth grade. You got a few years. I didn't think about that until halfway through my senior year. Like, I was like, I don't know, I'm just gonna have fun. Okay, I guess it's Stan State or MJC. I don't know what to do. But he was a little bit different, trying to teach him how to deal with that anxiety. My daughter, Mary, who's a junior this year, uh, is a senior this year, oh my goodness. I just just had a moment, sorry. Um, She's a senior this year. And um, her freshman year, she would wake up in the morning and she would about threw up every single day before school because she was so anxious about going to school. But guess what she did? She started to wake up earlier in the morning, started to read her Bible, started to pray, started to journal, started to meet with a mentor. And guess what happened? That anxiety today is gone because she started to apply the word of God to her life. So many times we let others dictate how and what we think instead of focusing on what our belief is in God and let God's words direct us to what we are to believe. How many of you guys saw Runaway Bride? You guys remember that old, I know, Dust the Cobwebs Out, old movie, dated myself, all you youngsters have no clue. It's basically a movie about this woman who kept running at the altar. And one of the things that sticks out to that, this is the only thing I really remember from the movie, is the fact that She had no clue what type of eggs she liked because the only thing she knew was whoever she was dating, whoever she was in a relationship with, whatever, how they liked their eggs was the only way she liked her eggs. She didn't even know how she liked her eggs. How do you not know your favorite eggs? I don't know. That seems weird to me. But here's the thing. So many of us are like that. Depends who we're around, depends what we believe. If we're around our Christian buddies, Oh, everything's great. We're on fire. Fire for Jesus. Go, Jesus. Woo, God is awesome. We're around our other friends. Eh, not so much. Maybe a little louder. Oh, God's awesome. Do we believe this word is true or not? The verse I'm going to leave you with says this, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Think about that. Don't be anxious, don't worry. And how do we do that? Is by the verse ahead of that says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness 
And all these things will be added. That you will seek after his kingdom and his righteousness. And all that anxiety will handle itself. Because guess what? God's in control. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your word. I ask that right now you pour your favor out upon these people as they go to leave, that you would help them ruminate about maybe the things in their life that they are focused on that aren't healthy, that aren't about God. They're worried more about that almighty dollar instead of the almighty God. Will you encourage them, uplift them, and draw them to you? You are there waiting for them. Thank you in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.